So hold on. You want to play a very con- I want to be a woman, Adam. <laughs> we know. But I want to do it correctly. And I have a very large interest in playing a female character, but I don't want to screw it up and I don't know how to get it right. I feel like as a man playing a female character, you are going to the moment that you include any sort of romantic interest in it, mm-hmm. you're gonna piss off every other girl. Right, <sighs> unintentionally though. What yeah. are you woman. guys talking about? I'm gonna be a woman one day. <laughs> are we talking about in game or out of game? Because this is a revelation. <laughs> First one, then the other. It okay, depends. depends how well it goes in the game. To be honest, Dan, <laughs> that's not what this is a. Whoa, we're talking about combat again. Oh, that's the other podcast. Yeah, that's the okay, other, right. yeah, the one that we don't release and just enjoy with ourselves. So, hi, Dan. Hi. So, uh, it's a mimic. Uh, this is a podcast. Yay. Yes. Welcome to It's a Mimic with your DMs, Adam, Dan, and Terry. Okay, guys. So, today we're talking about uh, Theater of the Mind. And miniatures mm-hmm. and the comparison between the two mm-hmm. um now combat balance all that other lovely stuff i'm a big fan of theater of the mind i Me too um not just because i'm a lazy dm and like sorting through and finding minis in my bucket of miniatures is a pain in the butt but because i find i get more engaged players when i uh do that kind of stuff so uh, let's start off by rolling initiative and we can talk sure. about, you know, what do you like more, theater of mind Nobody. or um, miniatures and stuff like that? <laughs> All right, Terry, that's you. Theater of the mind or miniatures? I prefer, okay, I, I will say that I prefer theater of the mind. I love both for different reasons, but I prefer theater of the mind for the reason that Dan said, which is players get more engaged. As soon as you pull that map out, and as soon as you put those minis out, everyone's eyes go, boop, now we're pushing pieces of plastic around. And that whole uh, narrative and building the story and setting the scene, all of that goes away. It's just... It just tactical becomes, grids lead to tactical play style. Yeah, right? it, yeah. Just bego- yeah. it just becomes, I go over there. Yep. And, you know, and that and and then you have people like leaning over and counting and taking the time and be like five, ten, fifteen, yeah. twelve. Oh, but it happens no. from both sides as well because you naturally as a DM, you go, and he's going to go over here yeah. and he's going to attack. Instead of when it's theater of the mind, you 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 express it more and you you talk about all the five senses and you build the scene and you have that engagement from the players and you kind of build this big fantasy action scene a bit more and I get I just get more engaged in the game. How specifically do you do things like combat? Uh, okay, so for theater like of the mind, what are, what combat, are some tips and tricks? For theater of the mind combat, if you're new to doing it or you're unsure about it. Use a simple environment. So I know in the last podcast we were saying make your environments more interesting and use mountainsides and castles and keeps and all that sort of stuff. But practice it with, say, a standard dungeon crawl. You go into a 10 by 10 room and there's a crazy person in there and they're going to attack you. That's much easier to do for theater of the mind. You can practice it there. If it's a more complex environment, instead of putting a map out on the table, have your own little map behind the screen Mm -hmm. so you can do your little markers or whatever and you can keep a little track for yourself on whereabouts in the room people are but you can use that theater of the mind aspect to describe it to the players awesome uh would you build that beforehand would you like how how would you like say if say it's a random encounter you don't have that little map yeah in front of you how would you do it just get some square paper just get some square paper Pencil, draw down in front of old you. school yeah that's okay yeah and you know back, it's, it's, back it, in the 80s all over again eh? it doesn't have to be yeah did my favorite time we should do a whole podcast about the 80s i feel like all <laughs> the best things happened in the 80s um because i was born in the 80s yeah, yeah. i was born in the 80s as well <laughs> hey all of us were yes. oh no um because the map the map doesn't need to be beautiful to you you know, the, yeah, we like beautiful maps. They're the ones that the players can see. If you can just be, okay, uh, we're out square. Okay, here's some trees. Here's some whatever. Here's the path going through. This person's here, here, here. Yeah. Adam, what do you think? I love my grid play. I really do. There's a time and a place for theater of the mind, but I'm a tactically minded person, and I want to be able to see mm-hmm. um, exactly what I can do. However, I find that it is such a challenge, especially as a DM, to be fluid and to be descriptive when you have a map already on the table doing half of your job for you, mm-hmm. you tend to leave it behind and start focusing on the numbers. Yeah. Right? And so it's, I don't know, I prefer the grid play because I want the precision. You're not as precise with theater of the mind right. in combat. Um, it's a little sloppy for me, and I have planned my monsters and my enemies out down to their movement speed. Yeah. 
right? So I want that on the table, but I overprep, right? So yeah. that that helps me. The map making is a huge tool that I use to play the encounters. Yeah, and I think that's kind of what I meant was when you, you have to be confident with it. And you also actually have to have trust of your players as well because if you're doing a theater of the mind, big combat, and they're like, okay, I charge towards the monster because I want to hit it, and you have to go, okay, you can't quite get there. You're still five feet away. If they didn't trust you, they're like, screw you, man. Come yeah, on. It, the, I think the big problem with theater of mind is it really relies that your players trust in you. Yeah. And if you actually have a group of players that trust you, which, I mean, honestly, this is a game where we're all trying to do some corporate stellar storytelling together, so there should not be that adversary. Say corporate? Collaborative? Collaborative. There sure. it is. Yeah. I, kind of, I kind of let him roll with it, because I was corporate like, is this, a, too. is this a turn of phrase that I'm not corporate familiar with? Corporate works too, yeah, doesn't I, it? I, I want to see a... Uh, no, it doesn't. I want to see a Noel come in, though, in like a, a suit and tie. Yeah. I'm going to like sit down at the table. Anyways. Anyway. Uh, you completely derailed my train of thought. Thanks, Adam. No, you need to have trust and if you don't have that trust um it's going to make this a lot harder and i mean you should have that trust anyways because you are all telling a story together that's where i was so <laughs> if <laughs> i talk i'll get there yeah, yeah jerks. Found our way back <laughs> so i i like it but uh if you have that trust with your players and you have everything else it actually makes it a lot easier to just kind of this is where me as a lazy dm comes in wing it if you don't need to prep a map, if you don't need to prep another thing, you can describe. And then if your players trust you enough to say, hey, am I close enough to jump at him? Yeah, you are. Yeah. So it also engages in my mind because you are actively engaging their imagination because they don't have that visual stimulus in front of them. Right. If you're actively engaging their imagination, their descriptions of their actions themselves coming across the table is so much more vivid. The, and it relieves a lot of stress for me, who I I got mocked for years for all of my villains. When they died, they fell in a heap. Every single last one, oh, that one fell in a heap. And that one, oh, yeah, no, he, he's in a heap in the corner. Mm -hmm. And uh, it got so bad that my players around the table, like, they killed the last bad guy. And I go, okay, so he and everyone at the table in unison fell in a heap. And I'm like, oh, come on, guys. Like, <laughs> really? So, like, it... it really takes a little bit of weight off as a DM, in my in my opinion, to um, let the players get more engaged with their, like the cinema, the, uh, cinematography. Cinematography. Is that the right word? I don't know. Part, like, yeah, films, yeah, close. The, the internal the, visual of what their character is doing. Their the, the, the cinematic of it. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. But, okay, I would even say that if you do enough theater of the mind, you will build trust faster. Yeah. Because they are more likely, as players, to... Um, try new things inside combat instead of i move these four squares and hit they're okay hold on which one is charging me all right i'm gonna run up to him i'm gonna trip him yeah and it never would have occurred to them before yeah because you have to grid out mm -hmm. but now that you are describing it um they are going to be far more engaged the big thing about it though is that you have to avoid the confusion as much as possible and i actually have um three really quick tips for that yeah go ahead um first and foremost um you should recap at the end of every person's turn what just happened so yes. so dan just attacked uh noel over there and there's two others that are over in the corner and terry had to, his phone just beeped and i'm like okay terry it's your turn what what mm -hmm. okay dan's fighting a guy and you've forgotten the two in the corner so I am consistently retelling this story going like six seconds forward over and over and yeah. over again, right? And then rewinding six seconds back and hitting it faster. And so you really get a sense that everything is happening all at once. But I keep everything in the, for the movement factor, which I said was imprecise before, mm -hmm. everything should be in um, regular standard D&D units of movement. 30, 60, 90, 120. Mm -hmm. You can do it that way. They're within 30 feet. They're within 60 feet, right? Most creatures will move like that. If you have a bunch of small players in the party, think about their 25, 50, 75, 100, mm -hmm. yeah. right? And think about it like that. Or you can say you can run. You can dash. You can make it there in your movement, no problem. He's close enough that you can engage in melee. He's within your range. Yeah. And you give them that when you were describing, Dan is fighting that Noel. You can get to him in one move. 
or the other two are within your your crossbow range, and so you're providing opportunities. Yeah. You're not coaching, but you're laying it right out there so the player knows in range, out of range, um, within within your movement. All of that is really, really, really uh, important. And remember to err on the side of caution. Yeah. If they are 28 feet away, then, of course, you're going to be able to hit them. If they're 32 feet away and you have that in your notes for some reason, let them hit. Yeah. Okay, we're doing theater of the mind because it's more engaging. Allow your players to engage. It doesn't matter at all at the end of the day whether or not they got that extra three feet. They wanted to run forward and hit it, and they're going to remember either running forward and hitting it or sitting still. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're doing theater of the mind where there's no visual stimuli, where there's nothing that's, that's going on for them to count squares or look at their... Um, their area of effect on their spell, if they can't be plotting, uh, plotting that on their uh, on other people's turns, then you have to keep them engaged in the combat exactly, right yeah. now. I think it also creates a sense of urgency as well for the players because you're you're describing all of that action happening right now. It's now, it's now. Go, and go, you go. as a player don't want to sit back and forget. That should be one thing. Like if you're a player, just put down your phone. If you're in combat, I, give I, it a second. I'm okay with some people pulling out their phone to do things. Sometimes you got work sending you a message. You gotta, you gotta deal with. True, but like if you're sitting there trolling Imgur, like put it down and and, and <laughs> like try to focus. Like especially with theater of the mind, it, you are going to draw people into a. I think but, theater of the mind naturally gets you more invested, though. I think yeah. people on a whole become yeah, more invested in their characters when they. They piggyback off of you in describing what their character is doing. The wizards and the sorcerers are describing their actions of their spells more because you are leading by example in doing that. But there, there is. Uh, sorry, I'll let you finish because there's one thing I really want to bring up with this. Yeah. So, okay. Like, the other thing about theater of the mind, as opposed to your grid combat, is theater of the mind allows you to do things in the astral plane. It allows you to do things flying dragons. Mm-hmm, yeah. It allows you to do things underwater. You can hit the weird combat or yeah. or exploration. I will, and I don't know if you guys have noticed this. We combat when I when I'm DMing. We do combat ninety nine percent of the time with a grid. We do exploration mm-hmm. with me describing it and then revealing the room. Yeah, so yeah. that you can picture it first and then I reveal that portion of the grid. Um, and we yeah, do the most memorable encounters. to me was uh, when we're on the boat and we found that one floating cache. Of Trevor, a treasure. It wasn't no, Trevor. Trevor. <laughs> that one floating cash. We found Trevor. Trevor's cash. His wallet was just like floating. <laughs> Trevor, somewhere some GTA Trev- fans are like, "Don't touch it." No, there. So <laughs> we found that uh, treasure cash off in the um, distance, and you spent a good minute saying, "You see this thing up on the horizon," and we had this out of miniatures, out of like grid combat uh, time discussing amongst ourselves, like, "What are we going to do with this thing?" Because we're yeah. all on high alert we're in the middle of pirate territory and there's this thing floating towards yeah. us we're all on high alert and you slowly told us what was going on and then you dropped down this little cube and said there's treasure in there you were far more descriptive with it than that but like it, it's it it really pulled us into that entire mm-hmm. scenario because otherwise it was well you guys were going you found well, a, a, a lot of my random encounters where i don't necessarily have the clues on the map ready right like i, I will lay out the theater of the mind first and then roll initiative, here's the map. While you guys are rolling initiative and everyone's still, oh, what'd you get? I botched again. Oh, Dan. But <laughs> as, this, as this goes on and on, I'm sitting there unveiling the map and placing you guys. And, and, and you you know, all right, place yourselves on the map. Where would you be? Yeah, right? Like yeah. These are constant phrases that I'm saying yeah. because we haven't pulled the map out yet. Right? So the map is a tool for the combat for me specifically. But there are also some times where you... And uh, and one of the guys we used to play with, Jamie, you guys were um, riding uh, giant eagles and a green Ooh. dragon came out of the, the forest yeah. and faced off against you guys. And you'll notice that I didn't pull out a grid for that because I wanted this to be a social encounter. Yeah. And the moment you pull a grid out, that indicates combat is an option. Yeah, you're yeah. Say, that's it. You're essentially leading the, the, the player characters. You're, you're saying to them, we are now fighting. So this yeah. is what's happening. It, it, it can be exploration. But not always. And you have to have your maps prepped ahead of time, whether or not it's written down in your own notes or you do the thing that I do and I cut them all out and draw them all out. Yeah, no. But whatever it is, you have to know ahead of time where the secret door is if you're going to drop a grid down for, for exploration. Mm-hmm. Right? 
You can't really do that on the fly. You can, but I, I find it not quite as precise. You can do anything on the fly, Adam, if thanks, you try hard. Thanks, Dan. Well, don't try hard mm-hmm. enough. Yeah, if you try soft enough. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. I remember one anyway. of the encounters that you had us do, Adam, before Dan was in our campaign, was where we... Oh, those were before the Before it was awesome. Before it was awesome. <laughs> um, was, uh, we were captured by, I believe it was Cobalt's... Lizard oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we yeah, it was tied, Cobalt. I remember my character was tied to a tree and then assassinated. Oh, wasn't this the Bullywugs? No, 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 no. This this was Cobalt. What I've happened... heard so many stories of the days of yore before Dan joined the, the party. The, the, there were these Cobalts that um, had uh, rigged... <laughs> uh, should I quit? Like, oh, yeah. There's just like some little... Yes! <laughs> <laughs> so, way to max the mic there. <laughs> so, the thing was, these Cobalts had rigged the forest with traps. But instead of actually like... Oh, there's there's rocks fall or what? No, no, no. They walked in. They they tripped a tripwire, and all the trees whoop fell down, and like the entire map collapsed on them. But we did all theater of the mind. Yeah. And then they woke up tied to stakes, and they were dragging a thirteen year old girl off to sacrifice them to the cobalt gods. And Terry is like, "Oh my God, uh, I am the cobalt god of death." And they're like, "Yeah, prove it." He goes, "Uh, kill me." And they said, okay, and slit his throat. They just, like, coup de grace him right there. So it's not a great plan. No, no, no. There are holes in that plan. <laughs> and, and also, Titus, yeah. yeah. In my defense, but, my plans have got better. <laughs> but the point is that a lot of that, and I just summarized in under a minute, a 25-minute mm-hmm. um, situation, all of that was done theater of the mind style. Yeah. Right? Even when, when um, Jamie came to the rescue and he was jumping over fire pits and saving people hung by the neck. And, like, it was about to be a massacre. And then the cavalry showed up. And there was... All of that was random encounter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I want to stop because you, you're starting to bring up something that is a large problem. Balance within the yeah. theater of the mind and everything sure. else. Yeah. And then... Sometimes you go too easy. Sometimes you go too heavy with it. And getting stuck in that, you could go like 300 with it. And you're just cutting down guys as you walk side by side. It's far too easy. Or you go too hard and think, well, the DM has a different opinion of what this monster is capable of doing. And you know by your hit point counter that he should have been dead two rounds ago. But you're still keeping him up. Uh, there's problems there. So we, I want to talk a little bit about, about balance. But before we do that... This week's shout-out is for the original Die for being so freaking awesome. Recently, our own DM, Adam, won a set of their amazingly beautiful dice and won't shut up about it. Be sure to go follow their Instagram, at the.original.die, to make your feed more colorful with all of their polyhedral goodness and support a great member of the D&D community. Now back to the show. Right, so uh, combat balance in theater of the mind. Let's uh, roll initiative. Okay. That was mine, but whatever. Okay, fine. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I get to go first. Uh, how do you keep combat balanced within theater of the mind? Do you let them go and have that three hundred moment where it's their fighter wearing just a loincloth and a shield and a spear is you know. One by one, like just slowly taking out one guy with one swing and, and doing that? Or do you go a little bit further and try to flesh it out? Is there any prep work you guys do beforehand? This is kind of where I'm going. How do you balance theater of the mind combat? So for me, the main way I do it is um, I kind of listen to the table, figure out where we're at. I also run a lot off of the shot clock. Like, how much longer do we have in the night? Because if this is going to be a drawn-out, like, very uh, character-developing combat, let's draw this out. Let's make this epic. Let's have the barbarian jump over pits of fire, swinging his great sword in slow motion to decapitate the enemy. Let's have those kind of moments. You could do that in uh, Theater of the Mind easily. But then sometimes there's a boss I want to be a well, heavier hitter. I think for me, to comment on what you're saying, is you're, 
what you're saying there is assuming that Adam and I think like you, which is making it up on the spot. So you're going, <laughs> you're going, do we flesh this thing out and make it a big epic battle? And Adam and I already know that we would already know how many enemies there is there and whether, what their well, objectives e- are. Even if, oh, say you have 20 kobolds with a chieftain. Okay. Yeah. Do you have that if you're doing that in theater of the mind? Because there's, you know, it, the battlefield is far too big to put on a battle map, for yeah. example. Like... Theater of the mind is a necessity, so how do you judge the difficulty level then with that? Like, when when you're in the middle of it, Mm -hmm. how do you judge the difficulty level? Do you ramp it up? Do you slow it down? Like, do you change the difficulty level on the fly? The goal with difficulty level is to keep your players on the raggedy edge so that they go home exhausted at the end of the night. That's right. Mental exhaustion is what I'm aiming for. Yeah, I want want tears at the end of every session. There's no bigger compliment Uh, than when it's Either of pain or joy. Or sad. Either. I'll sure. Just, I just sure. like people crying around me. I think there's no bigger compliment than crying. Um, yeah. So, but for... Okay, I think... <laughs> they can't no. see the look on your face. That came off totally yeah. straight. Just straight face. Yeah. I was dead How serious. did you say that stoically? <laughs> I like it when people cry around me. It's great. Me? You sniffle around me? I get so... Like, oh, do you really, up and, oh yeah, I can't handle empathy. It. I'm such a, a helper. I would be like, oh man, do you need like a cup of tea? Do you need me to sing to you? Dan you didn't know what to do when your character died last session. Like. <laughs> I was shaking. I was sitting there going, everyone's... Uh, 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 <laughs> His knee-jerk reaction was murder children. Because he didn't know how to, how to do anything from there. <laughs> they weren't children. <laughs> okay. Back to I still the, murdered them, but they the weren't children. Gun. Okay, All away right. from the murdering children and crying people making us happy. <laughs> yeah, what's your actual point? Okay, well, you said, how do I balance it? Mm-hmm. Do you, I'm going to say, do you mean balance it as in, when do I switch from theater of the mind to using a grid map? Well, no, like, uh, sure. Uh, I'm more concerned with... Like, how, how do you keep the combat balanced? And intriguing and, and, and engaging and everything else. Because okay, if everything is so easy... Then okay, so it doesn't necessarily need to be easy. Those challenges are still happening. I think the balance comes in, and you have to be confident in doing your job well. So Adam was saying you have to constantly be describing what's going on. You have to be, you have to have your eye on the ball all the time. If you lose track of of what's happening yourself, the combat becomes unbalanced because nobody knows what's going on unless you're delivering it properly. Exactly. Yeah. So all right, I'm gonna go because I uh, one second. I'm gonna list all my ways because I. I'm fantastic. Um, use ways of enemies. If you have 20 kobolds on a field and... And, and they, they tear through it. And they tear through it, then you are fighting 20 kobolds. And the um, the action economy is working against your players. And there's not a thing you can do to pull them back without obviously showing your hand as a DM to make it easier. If things get tilted too far, you need to have a reason why, why your enemies are shifting their priorities. Mm-hmm. So bring them in in waves. That way you can chip away at hit points or spell slots or they can steal the MacGuffin that they mm-hmm. need to get. Whatever it is, you can do that a little bit at a time. I'm a big fan of coming at the party uh, in waves. Um, use environmental challenges. We talked about this a lot in the last um, episode. But terrain, like difficult terrain, coverage, mm-hmm. um, uh, concealment, uh, but also things like slanted floors yeah. where it's double speed down and half speed up. Mm. That's going to radically change exactly. the entire thing. Weather. Weather. Trap rooms. Yeah. Right? Oh. Uh, you will remember, Terry, that there was a, um, uh, in the altar of elementalism in the fire catacombs, there was a room where um, there was a tile that would glow. There were seven different colors. And there were all of these, like, walls of fire. Whichever yeah. one glowed, that wall of fire would drop. And you guys had to run forward and avoid the different walls of fire that were going on all at the same time. I believe I just ran straight through. You them. just ran straight through and took a whole <laughs> whack of damage. But... <laughs> that was my plan. <laughs> just went, I'm just going to run... So, so your plans have been getting better. Turns out... <laughs> turns out that just running really fast through fire doesn't reduce the damage. No, no. no. But, uh, it's not but, like a candle and, and your finger? But, no. but I had a, uh, I had a uh, Megman in there. A little fire gnome, <clears throat> essentially. A little fire goblin. And uh, you guys were supposed to fight him, and you didn't. You ran away. So I went and I put him in, in the lava room mm-hmm. so that you guys had to go in there. And every time that you took a step through, in that room, you were taking heat damage unless you were stepping on the perfect spot. That's right. And this guy's popping up and out. But there there were four or five of them, I think, in there yeah. at that point. So I had to change that because 
Um, you guys didn't do what I wanted you to. That room suddenly became too easy because you just ran through and took, oh, I took 7d6 fire damage, but I'm resistant to fire, so I don't care. I'm like, okay, great. Thank you. So <laughs> environmental uh, challenges are huge, but also give environmental benefits to your enemies. Don't put your boss face-to-face with the party. They will murder him in the mouth every time. <laughs> they will stab him in the teeth. There's a t-shirt. They will murder him. They will murder him in the mouth, stab him look, in the teeth. Look, you guys, you guys will remember this. You guys went up against Sinister, the tiefling, and you knocked him the fudge out. And then the big uh, boss, Dasher, had to open up a portal and go, you ass, and grab him and drag him through it. Yeah. Because you weren't supposed to kill him yet. So, all of a sudden, alright, the big boss has been scrying the whole time, which he was anyway, but now he's got to come to the rescue, because I put him within striking distance. Yeah. That was a big mistake on my part. Um, in the last session, I threw the Archmage at you guys, in theory, to intimidate you down into the hole. Well, the wizard's <laughs> like, what's that? The Archmage? And now we have a, like a Necromancer versus an Archmage that are going toe-to-toe. And so now the party has split, and then a character died because I put the boss too close. Yeah. Right? This happens over and over and over again. We were split three ways at that point. Yeah. We were three-wayed. Yeah. Yep. And uh, and then there's there's things like height. I think I, I spoke about that a little bit in the last, uh, the last episode. But you can do things like barriers as well. Yeah. Tunnels are great. Um, the party in the campaign before Dan joined... Um, they fought a Draculich in a giant room, but there were tunnels underneath. And so the Draculich couldn't get down underneath. So they were popping up and down. It was almost like a game of whack-a-mole, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But then, but so that was to their benefit. But then in the last session we just had, we had a, a death tyrant using tunnels <laughs> to evade the party. Like just that one little environmental thing can make a world of difference. And you can choose when that creature pops out. Now, how do you do a thing like... Uh, tunnels and these environmental things in that have a very mechanical um, uh, method and mechanical play on the field of battle. How do you do those effectively within theater of the mind? What what you do is you take the opportunity whenever someone discovers this new thing that you've thrown in there. Oh, there's a uh, I jumped in the hole. Well, the hole isn't a hole; it's a tunnel, and you tell them that immediately. Yeah. Would their character know it? Then don't hold it back. I don't understand these DMs that are like, well, you didn't ask the exact right question about oh, what color yeah. the frame of the picture was, so you don't know that that's the red one? No, man. Your character walked in and saw a red picture frame. Yeah. It's, the DM didn't describe it properly, and so you're getting penalized for this, yeah. and you can't figure out the clues now. A hero's passive perception is already way above mundane humans like we yeah, are, right? Yeah, so, exactly. So if it's something that you would notice, your player would notice yeah. it too. Yeah. And it's it's fairly safe to say that these heroes are probably somewhat suspicious and are used to investigating things a little bit more. Especially while they're climbing through a dungeon. Exactly. But, but if, if you are going to rebalance this, you are in the middle of a combat and things have gone sour, either it's too easy or it's too hard... The simplest way, Dan, I'm telling you, shift the enemy's objective. Yeah, yeah. So, I like to use waves, like I say, but you guys uh, recently fought uh, uh, Drow Encampment, right? That they had taken a whole bunch of goblins as slaves. Yeah. And you went in to rescue the goblins and to kill all of the drow, and you were the invading force. And then you got in there and you liberated them and everything's great, and then suddenly you were under siege. And this fort is your defense now. Yeah. And it happened within 10 seconds mm-hmm. in game time. Yeah. Right? So there was no chance at all for you to catch your breath. You were supposed to fight Drow that were supposed to take you out. And then you were going to get a short rest and then have to fight these things after you deal with the goblins. But you mowed through those Drow like it was no one's business. All right, man. You don't get a chance to rest. Here comes the the heavy hitter. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. So, and that's your escalation there, because that's what we were talking about before. Is, is using these different techniques to, to escalate battle to keep it interesting. Pacing, so, so, pacing, pacing. Yeah. Next thing I want to talk about. This is a big contentious issue between uh, DMs, players across the board, and it happens when the DM gets overconfident, escalates a bit too far. Do you fudge numbers? How do you help your players? In those bad situations. You don't help them. The dice are gods. 
<laughs> this is fate. No, all of that is wrong. Yeah. So yeah, you, so you cannot control natural ones. Right? Yeah, you can't. Right, and and so if if you have a person who say is running a gnome investigator, and he rolls thirteen natural Thir- ones, right. thirteen in one session, in one session, in one session yeah. Um, because because his because his dice love him. Yeah. Oh, so it's me, and I hate those. He's, you're not bloody polyhedrals. <laughs> yeah, you touched a bunch of my dice today. Oh man. This new character of yours is going to have fun. New character's <laughs> going to die immediately. But so, uh, how do you help the players? Let's roll it off. Roll for it. Favorite way to help the players? Why are we oh. so? We're all so average. Nine, eight, and a six. Yes. So that that'd be me. That is you. Um, well, look, players want two things, right? They want agency and they want success. They want to win. And they want to do it themselves. They don't want you to do it for them. Mm -hmm. So you need to be 100% clear when a situation is uh, unwinnable. Yes. Okay. When you are going to take them captive. Do Do you say the thing? This is unwinnable. Sometimes. Sometimes I say that. A lot of times I look at them and I say, are you sure? Are you sure? Are you stupid? Right? Like, <laughs> what, whatever it takes to drive the I point off. Weekly. You, you Wait, guys you said that to me a lot. <laughs> yeah, right? You guys, uh, uh, at one point the party walked through um, through the, these uh, cornfields. And again, I pulled from Children of the Corn on this. There are all of these children out there with blow darts. And all the blow darts um, were knocking down, I believe it was your constitution. Yeah. Um, but it was not lethal, but it will knock you the fudge out if your con hits zero, right? And so the party, and they're like, hey, yeah, we're here to take you to the creepy thing in the woods that you don't want to go to. And the entire party's like, all right, we're going to do it. The barbarian's like, I'm going to murder some children. And I, and I had to stop them, and I went, you are lawful neutral. Are you certain? Because you will not win this, you will just murder children. There are 51 of them. Yeah, action economy in and of itself. Yeah, so I had to be 100% clear about it. You've also said to me, and and DMs, this is a warning out. This is, I think, one way that even Adam would admit that he kind of failed, and then I dropped the ball a little bit with it as well, is we're walking through a swamp, and there's a Nightwalker moving through, and uh, you said verbatim, if you fight it, I will kill you. Yeah. And then I... My character's the smart one of the party, so I went to the party and was like, yeah, if if we fight it, Adam will kill us. And I had to say... No, and I, no, 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 I won't kill you. The monster will kill you. I'll just be controlling the monster. So, like, be careful how you phrase these little, like, are you sure? Are you sure? Are you stupid? Like... Well, I think, for me, what you're, what you're seeing there is... Um, it's remember the DM, you're the player's eyes if we do theater of the mind. Yeah. yeah. So, to what Adam was saying, it's it's... It is okay to essentially say this is unwinnable because your player characters can see that the players just can't see that. Exactly. You know, so yeah. that you can describe this big monster that they come to and they're getting all confident, but the, the heroes in the story are going to look at that thing and go, this is unwinnable. We must leave. The, uh, the other thing that I wanted to bring up is, okay, so nudging the characters in the right direction. Like you're helping the characters. Railroading. Choo-choo. Uh, right, but how do, how do you railroad without railroading? And so, how do you, you guys have to solve this puzzle? How do you get through it, right? I'm not going to drop the one clue in there because if the dice hate you and y'all mm-hmm. roll threes, yeah, you don't solve this puzzle. You don't get the item. You can't move forward. Never give one clue. Give six, because they the party will maybe they're just having an off day and they don't realize that that's the clue and they need a second one. But always give them multiple clues yeah. to every puzzle. There should never be a hard like if you don't figure out or roll this one thing. Mm-hmm. You're done. Right. I, and, 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 give and, options. And in the same vein, never give the NPC one trait because they're just going to see the angry guy, so I'm going to fight him, or the flirty girl, so now it's a sexual conquest thing yeah. if you're a barbarian. I like the idea of, that but, I think helps is is giving the clues before they get to the puzzle. So what I mean is like in the story arc, it's like they will find the book with the symbol on it. So you can use that honesty because the players would know when they get to this clue, yeah. you see a symbol on the wall that matches the one from the book that you found in the ancient library. Yeah. So then when they get the book out, because their player character would automatically recognize the symbol, yeah. you're being their eyes, yeah. their clues are in there. And you could have fun with it. You could set it up weeks in advance, too, so that yeah. they have this one clue. They don't even know it's a clue. It's in the back of their book. 
or in a protective sleeve because it's a handout with just a bunch of runes and words and stuff on it. Yeah. And you're sitting there going, suddenly you can see this rune that you see in front of you that is, look at that other page. You could do it. Like, try to lead them in that direction. Mm-hmm. And, and you're, you, because you've laid these little, like, nuggets throughout the path, it's going to make that option a lot uh, easier for them. Right. So that's what a DM could do ahead of time. But what about when, when the players have screwed up? What about when they have walked themselves into a total party kill? And you don't want Everyone's that to happen. Everyone's done it. Everyone's done it. Right. And so, I mean... You Go Negan. Just kill one. Just kill one. <laughs> Brutally. Or, Taking or, it like a champ. Or, or, man, no, no, that's too soon. Too soon. <laughs> my, my, my. All right, so, so, now that we've traumatized everyone again, <laughs> the people, people driving their cars and listening just crashed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um... We love you, Glenn. Um, but the... I just want to say you don't have to use lethal damage. No. It's something that they were so specific about in, in 3.5, and they don't bring it up much in 5th edition in any of the books. You don't have to kill. Mm-hmm. When you blow up a fireball, you will. But when you hit with an with a weapon, with an item, when you do a standard basic attack, whatever it is, you can just do non-lethal damage and then take them prisoner. right? But there should be a consequence. Yeah. Right? I'm helping them. But I don't want them to feel like they've been helped because now I'm taking away their agency and I'm making it about the DM telling a story, yeah. right? So there's a punishment. You guys all get knocked out. You wake up and find you and six NPCs tied up and now you can save one of them. The other five are going to get sacrificed mm-hmm. and raise a demon lord. Who do you who do you choose to survive? Yeah. That's <laughs> brutal. That is an unfair thing to do. It you, was. And and you opened that up at the beginning of the session too. Uh, so like the rest of that session we were just like came in all confident, uh, looking forward to my game. Yeah. The worst. Yep. Yep, but I mean the the other thing too is that if things are starting to get tough and you think there's a TPK coming and you've got a whole bunch of different monsters laid out in this dungeon that's getting increasingly harder. You know, it's CR1s, and then it's CR2s, and then it's it's two CR2s, and then it's four CR2s, and now it's a CR5, mm-hmm. and just getting worse and worse and worse as you go. Vary it. Mm-hmm. Put that CR5 early, so that when they're out of spell slots at the end of it, they can take short rest before they move on to the CR2s. You yeah. know, Change the difficulty level. I, and I, I do want to bring one thing here. You're mentioning rests. Really try to impress on your party how dumb it is to take a rest, like a long rest, inside of the dungeon. Like if they if if they blow through their abilities way too hiding soon, in, hiding in the stone like, cupboard. And yeah, yeah. Everyone is left. everyone is crammed in the broom closet. It's closed, locked in. The barbarian sitting there with the spear, just ready to poke the first thing. How that big opens is it. this broom closet? <laughs> Not large. It's a very small spear. Like it. it but, it's, it's a fork. It's a fork. Okay. Before we get onto that, yes, long rests in store cupboards and castles. Bad Are a idea. Bad idea. I just want to comment on what you were saying, which it's it, Yeah, you can help if you like but try and make it seem seamless but I do think that some sort of punishment needs to be there which is kind of what you were saying there always needs to be a consequence so even it, and it depends on the objective of the enemy as well so at what may seem like a TPK is everybody wakes up but you're strapped inside of some sort of caravan and you've lost all of your equipment and you're all now being sold as slaves Ooh. welcome to a new story arc you have been punished R- yes. you are not dead yes um, there are some fates worse than death. Yes. Choosing between beloved NPCs, one of them has to die. That's a fate worse than death. Turning someone to stone after his girlfriend gets gutted in front of his eyes, that's that's a fate worse than death. Mm-hmm. But there's no more egregious um, penalty that you can give that's going to piss off everyone than taking away a weapon. Mm-hmm. If you take like an item, sure, but a weapon... You've you taken, are the bad guy now. You have taken two of my weapons off of me that I can remember, two that I loved. I uh, one was your fault. Like, hardcore your fault. Which one was my fault? You what? buried the dagger inside of the thing. Oh, sorry, thing and... three weapons. <laughs> three weapons, because I forgot about that one. Oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, that was your fault. Yeah, well, yeah. I'm going to throw at this across the room when we're well, in the sewers with the running my, water. My Sunblade, Keith. The Sun Sword, Keith. Uh, sun Sword, Keith. Yeah, but I gave you Craig, so it's okay. And then my Polearm, Craig, which I guess I lost because of that character was turned to stone, and so I got a new character. So I technically I didn't lose that item. I just wasn't able to use it anymore. 
And then, yeah, and then my magic dagger, which was, I suppose, my fault. You just punished me hard for it, that is all. Um, uh, well, no, it was more... It was more I warned you guys the environment would just take stuff and fell in there. Yeah. yeah. It, it was actually, like... Oh, it was a total Ace Ventura <laughs> moment when, you know, when he's in the cave and he's like, Die, devil bird! It was the cro- That's exactly what it did. It was like rushing, just to explain to everybody at home, there's, it was in like a sewer and there was rushing water and I threw my magic dagger, which hit the enemy, but that enemy then was pushed into the waves and so... <laughs> by our paladin, my, who was unrepentant took and my, just went, you shouldn't have thrown it at it. took my bloody dagger <laughs> and I was like, well, there we go. Okay. So, yeah, but so if you're gonna punish people, don't necessarily aim for the gear. As much as I like to attack everything on the character sheet, mm-hmm. and that's another thing that I that's do. That's a great point. Is is um, if things are going too easy and you guys just have a ton of hit points, let's see. You're not a high wisdom party. Let's start attacking with wisdom. What enemies drain wisdom? Yeah, yeah. And now I'm flipping through probably old editions because there's not much in fifth ed. To find some inspiration for something that's going to drain wisdom. Because now it's scary. You don't have 140 hit points anymore. You have 16 wisdom. Yeah. And you're losing 1d4 at a time. That's crippling. Yeah. That's so scary. Mm-hmm. So that's the other thing that I will do is, um, is even if you get to low hit points, and it sh- you shouldn't be this low yet, I will attack your movement speed. These guys now paralyze. They don't do damage. They have a paralytic attack. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Or they're going to stun. Or you've got to... Uh, you're going to get pushed back ever closer to the cliff. I'm going to change that tactic just enough. But every monster I use has three or four different kinds of attacks. Mm-hmm. So that I'm not making this up on the fly because I don't do that well. i got to prep it ahead of time. And you better believe that if I'm attacking Wisdom, specifically... It is because I have determined at this point that the cleric should be at really low hit points, but everyone else should be fine, based on what I've planned to happen. What's a cleric? So I'm going to attack... <laughs> What's a cleric? We don't have one in no, no, we don't have any healers. <laughs> That's brutal. But oh, um, the last one we did. Um, that, didn't, that didn't go well for him. No, he lost his beard. Um, but there were... Um, also his life. Also his life. <laughs> the beard was... Some fates are worse than death, Dan. That's what we're discussing right now. Yeah, but... Take a dwarf's beard from him. See someone rage at a table. A, what's a beard? <laughs> <laughs> so, but the point is, you can attack other things as a uh, relief for some characters. Yeah. Or you can do it as a punishment for some characters. How do you make it seem like you are not helping the players if you need to help them a little bit? Uh, yeah, yes, but... Them? Yeah. Yeah. Improv. Yeah, and and that's it is yes but or no and, right? Like I want to be able to 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 jump across this 40 foot gap. Like no. And if you did you would die. So I'm not helping you. It's like this is obvious your character would know this. No and don't. There's a bridge over there. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So that's the end. They want to get across. I will provide as many almost succinct options as I can and let them create figure it the, out. yeah they've got to figure the puzzle out mm-hmm. um or yes but you know i want to pick up that goblin and use him as a club okay all right yes <laughs> that's, goblin. That, that's awesome <laughs> have i not told you about the goblin? have i not told anybody about the goblin? I, I know the goblin. i had a uh, barbarian once that had um, You've had a barbarian more than I, once. I've had a barbarian more than once. This was another iteration of Oscar the Barbarian. I think I was fifteen or sixteen when I was playing this guy. Um, he was a spike chain specialist, and we're out in a dungeon clearing out um, two factions: one of goblins, one of kobolds, who were fighting each other in this war, and we're trying to figure it out and like stop them from fighting because it's affecting the city that is above these catacombs. Right. So my character is going around and. Uh, Manages to get a couple cobalt corpses stuck to his chain. And instead of like pull them off and all that other stuff, he just started swinging around cobalt corpses. And then on the other side, he got some goblin corpses. So he started swinging around goblin corpses. So he had goblins on one side, cobalts on the other. He's going like this. And then he's like, well, why don't I just take some short spears and stick them through the corpses? So I had these big points of short spears on either end. And I'm just walking down with this. And then I was like, wait a minute. This isn't exactly practical. These are going to rot. So I bronzed both sides. <laughs> yeah. 
So, know. so thus the Kaboblin was born. Why yeah. are you like this? <laughs> you uh, mean amazing? <laughs> Let me so tell you the ways. The point is, if a player walked up to me and said, I want to do whatever crazy shit Dan does, <laughs> I would look at him square in the eye and I would say, yes, but those kobolds will fly off of these spike chains the first time you hit something. Yep. Yes, but you are going to have to do a strength check because now this weapon is heavier. Or you no longer get your strength uh, modifier added to this because this is so much heavier and you're, yeah. you're putting your shoulder yeah. into just lifting and swinging, yeah. right? But also keep in mind, and, and this is coming from a more player perspective, sometimes a player gets something in their head, they get a little nugget that they grasp onto irrationally. Like me, if... if like if they had a stone statue of a hawk. That could come to life. Yeah. And it's the only and it's thing that they care about. favorite thing, right? If, if you start messing I with that thing. Go. Yeah, but. If I a goblin know. steals it and runs into the forest, for in example. In my defense. <laughs> that was. Did you see? How, I've never you seen how upset, upset I was. I've never seen how upset. happened that game. <laughs> this <laughs> goblin got mine. So I had a stone hawk, came to life. Her name was Satine. And she was. <laughs> that she would fly off and do my things. And I, and I loved her. Just like I love Satine Phoenix and Satine off Moulin Rouge. So I have three favorite Satines. Anyway, and she goes, <laughs> and this goblin ends up with it. And I was like, ah! <laughs> My character just by himself went riding off into the forest. I, I knew things were bad when, like, Boar, the barbarian, and Rezu, the paladin, were stuck alone at this massacred halfling caver, uh, uh, caravan. Caravan. Just sitting there and like, so uh, we're the slow ones. Are we going to go get them? Oh, yeah. You were in such a panic that the elves had to go deal with this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You took off and we're like, where the hell did Titus just go? Adam knows how to like play me essentially so well. (laughs) Like I I fall into your traps every single time. tells me he starts playing social experiments with his party members. Yeah, I believe it. But I I know. Doesn't phase him. Oh, yeah, of course. I think a lot of times I know what you're doing. And I feel like I'm going, I know what you're doing. But I'm, I'm not letting you take the stone hawk from me. I will die before the stone hawk leaves me. Yeah, but that is exactly what I want because that turned into a whole like multi-session exploring tunnels and going after these goblins. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so you got the hawk back. I didn't penalize you for that at all. Mm-hmm. You got it back before you found the tunnels, the opening of the tunnel even. Yeah. Right? So I knew that I had to... If you had, and here's a great example because this was the plan, if you hadn't caught the goblin and you didn't get that hawk, that hawk would be in the tunnels that you can recover. And there were bottomless pits in those tunnels as well, mm-hmm. for lack of better mm-hmm. terms, right? So there's no way that hawk would have gone down the pits. You would have seen her again somewhere in there early on too. To reward you for doing this because I'm not punishing you yeah. for a story hook. I think I'd already lost her and found her somewhere else previously. You'd she... lost her a couple of times. Yeah. Yeah, it was a thing when that happened. You know, I did have three hawks at one point. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so somehow we got onto that from My talking words. about theater of the mind and stuff like that. Well, so. well, well. What's interesting too is because that that halfling caravan and that goblin stealing that was all theater of the mind. All theater of the mind. Yeah. Look how engaged I was. <laughs> and that, but but that's the point, is all of a sudden you're screaming and running away. The others are, are running away. If I had dropped a grid down and said the goblin is here and he's running, you guys would have been counting squares and you would not have been worried that the hawk is getting stolen. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Right? So it's this extra level of engagement that you can do, but I saw this as more of an exploration. Maybe you catch the goblin and interrogate him, so maybe it's a social well, thing. It was a but it was never... plot hole. It was a plot hook, right? Yeah, not a plot hole, a plot hook. Well, well there was a hole, hole in the in the plot, yeah. but... Um, the Because you went down a hole. In right. The tunnel. Many, many holes. It was underground. Yeah. yeah. Caverns. So, plot yeah. sponge. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the point was that in order to get you to combat, I didn't end up busting out a map until there was an enemy to kill in initiative. Yeah. Right? And even then, we could have done it without the map. Yeah, it's yeah. one goblin. Why not, right? Yeah. But I dropped you down into the tunnels, and now there's eight goblins. And then beyond that, there's scary rock monsters that can camouflage. And there was just one thing after another down there, and I wanted to represent that and have narrow openings and, like, exactly. underground yeah. ponds. And so... 
So what we've, what we've decided is use theater of the mind. Um, I don't understand. Embrace it. I don't understand people that use one or the other. Yeah. No. Use yeah. it. Use it, and then. But no one feel shit. free to break from it if you need to. Use it to engage your players. Use it to draw them in. Use it to get them to put down their phones. Ah. But read the room as well. So read the room. Describe doing... it. Really engage with your party members. But if you're doing theater of the mind, and then you start to get the questions of. Well, where's this? What's this? Where's this? That either it should tell you you're not doing a good enough job of describing what's happening and yeah. you're not staying current, or okay, now we need to now we need the yeah. Now we'll drop the map down. Yeah. And and even if you don't have the map ready, pull out the graph paper and jot down some. Get your point across. The grid is a tool. It's a means to an end to describe what you're doing. Yeah. Right. But yeah. if we only rely on the maps, we will never end up going as in depth as we could. We're relying on our own words and descriptions. Mm -hmm. So that's, I think we're good. Anything else you guys want to bring up? No, not at all. Now, I do want to play a female oh God, character again. at some point. I do want to play a female character Why? at some point. Why? No, I'm, I'm, because, I'm, at, well, first I'm of all, I'm out. I want to test myself. Sure. I want to see if I can do this. This is a legit thing. I want to see if I can do this properly, fairly, and. Just for something more interesting, you know. I, I've been I'm, a guy. I've been I'm, a guy. My, my very years. first character was a, was a female character. Oh, How did God. it go? I remember this. Uh, poorly, very poorly. I did not understand the rules, and at level eight had like thirty one. The game the, or being a woman? Uh, yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, she had uh, like thirty one in diplomacy. It was yeah. three point five. Ridiculous! You were a an, an assassin bard that. Was a spy, wasn't she? Like she, she, would uh, she was a flirt and seduce her way to get information. She was, oh, yeah. she was a woman of the night that never sealed the okay. deal because she murdered people and stole from them instead, right? So she seduced people in order to, to do this, and it's utterly freaking ridiculous. I, okay, this was also ten years ago. I would never do if I were. I want to play that character. It's a mimic podcast. Mm -hmm. I want to check play this out that, next week. That is like that's a half elf bard. Thank you for listening to It's a Mimic. Check us out online at itsamimic.com or on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Have questions you would like answered by the guys on the show? Send them an email to itsamimic at gmail.com. Tune in every Tuesday for more.